Psalm 22. You ever been to a progressive dinner? <laughs> you go to one house for the appetizers, and you go to the next place for the salad, and then you go to the next place for the main dish, etc. You know progressive, not talking about modern-day thoughts on progressiveness. Biblical progressive revelation. What did Abraham know? Well, he knew a lot. He knew he was blessed and that the whole world, all the world was going to be blessed through him. He would become a father of many nations. He knew that God was giving him a son, and he got confused for a while. And then he had the son of promise, Isaac. And then he took him up to Mount Moriah, and just as he was going to plunge a knife in him, the Lord said, stop, Abraham. And there was a ram, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It's seen here that the Lord has seen to it to make provision. I mean, that's a lot. How much did he fully understand? Uh, I don't know, but I can tell you this. He, he saw that. He didn't fully understand the gospel. In another sense, you could say he did. You know, you get to think about it. What did he really know? He didn't know as much as Moses. Moses came later, and then Moses is given the law. Abraham didn't know about the law. And, and, and in Moses came the promise that a prophet would be raised up like myself in, De- in Deuteronomy 18. And he saw these things, but did he know as much as David? No. When we get to David, who came later from Moses, who came understanding that through his lineage, his son and sons on down the line would come the Messiah, this person that God was speaking about. And so on and on it has gone in the Old Testament until the revelation, the mystery that was hidden, was revealed in Jesus Christ. When we talk about the mystery in the Bible, it's a mystery that's been revealed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Peter 1.21, when we were there, we talked about it a lot. For prophecy never came in the Old Testament times, it never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they didn't, it goes on in First Peter 1 to say, and they didn't understand fully what they were preaching, sharing about, and they wanted to understand even better what it was that they were sharing. So that's the backdrop. Let's read what David wrote. We'll read part of it first. What he wrote, not fully realizing what you, sitting here, right now, you know what David didn't fully know. I want that to sink in for a minute. When you sit, those of you who are anywhere near, like um, Bible students, have read through the Psalms, understand the New Testament and the Son of David, the promise of the Messiah, the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, if you know those things, you're going to read this knowing what David didn't know. He does now. (laughs) He does now. Verses 1 through 18. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. 
but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me to trust on my mother's breast. I was, you have been my God, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Excuse me. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. Do you think David was sitting under a tree somewhere? Luke, would you get me in a glass of water? Thank you. Excuse me. Do you think David was sitting under a tree somewhere saying, you know, and I really need to get a top 40 tune going here from the Christian Billboard top 40 songs. I want to write some Christian music. Or I want to write some Israel music. Let's see. What could I write that would really be strong? What, what would grab people? What kind of tune can I put to it? You know, I want to be a famous musician for God. Some of the best songs that you've ever sung were written by people going through their great distress, not sitting at a piano just trying to figure out a cool tune and cool words that fit, but out of the pain and suffering of their heart. And I have strong doubt that David was sitting under a tree trying to punch out another top 40. I don't even think he knew how to try to capture the emotion of the suffering Messiah. David's troubles were real. His cry was sincere. But he is writing beyond his experience. From his experience, it's expanding prophetically to a greater experience, a deeper experience than he could possibly have experienced or understood. And we know his life story. This is not documenting his journey as much as God revealing Jesus' suffering through David. Are you with me? He documented his own troubles in the Psalms that we've already read, and there's a few more to come with pain and persecution and rejection. But Psalm 22, the cross is foreshadowed so deeply 
His cry to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll do that later. But note, the mockery, verse 8, where it says he trusted in God. Matthew 27, 43, here's what they said. He trusted in God. It's almost like they were reading the script. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Then being poured out like water, his bones out of joint. That's why he can tell his bones. His heart melted. That actually happened to him. They pierced my hands and my feet. They cast lot for, did that happen to Jesus? Did they cast lot for his garments? You know, we use the word excruciating pain. A young person, it could have been one of your kids here who goes to the uh, classical academy learning uh, Latin, said, you know, that's a word they made up, and I checked it out, the 1500s is when that word came into play, the crosses in it, excruciating, cross, the pain of the cross is one way to say it. They had to make up a word, and they used the cross to say it. Coupled with Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12.10, which I'll read, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. There's many, many, many more verses. You would almost think there have to be a veil over your eyes not to understand Jesus in the Old Testament or just not want to see it or both. The veil exists both in the Old Testament over the Jews' eyes, generally speaking. The veil exists over people who, hearing they'll hear and not understand when Jesus was telling his parables, to reveal that people's hearts are hard and their eyes are closed because of rebellion in their heart, because God would open eyes of those who would let him and would want it. Nonetheless, God also was bringing the Gentile church in. Now, we're not going to develop that whole thought. But... To not see Jesus in the Old Testament, there has to be a veil over your eyes, and there is for many. And you have to not want to see it. And that's true for many. Think about what you don't want to see right now. (laughs) I don't mean, I don't want to see some ugly, terrible accident. I'm talking about what does your heart unwilling to see right now today? Had nothing to do with me. I need the same thing you do. Crucifixion was not capital punishment during the time of David. The Romans didn't invent it, but they kind of perfected it. And then it became the model way of dealing with rebellious nations to them and people in them. Not during the time of David, as he wrote these so specific things. And then here's the cry, was seemingly unheeded, but then in verse 19... Through 31, we'll read the second half. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Or it says, and rescue me in some translations. For you have answered me. You have answered me. 
I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and all those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Now I know this includes me. (laughs) You can't keep yourself alive, can you? Because guess what? You're going to die, and you won't be able to stop it unless the rapture comes. You might prolong life. Take those vitamins so you can, but even he who cannot keep himself alive. There's more to that. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted on the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Listen, disclaimer, I can't do justice to Psalm 22 by my words. I'm doing the best I can, I think. His cry was seemingly unheeded, and then you have answered me or rescued me from the horns. The result is his praise for God, etc. How? Well, Jesus' prayer in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Father, if there's any way this cup of suffering can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God answered The Father answered Jesus' prayer. And Jesus rose from the dead. We probably shouldn't forget that. Jesus stated these words and others about the cross often. And also the disciples couldn't see it because the veil was still over their eyes, right? You know, we read it looking back and, you know, we may look at them and go, how could you miss it? But you weren't there. You weren't in their spot. If it would have been you and me, we would have missed it too until the Lord opened our eyes. And we would have heard those words and wondered what they meant. If any man will come after me, any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his, what? And follow me. Remember, this is before the crucifixion. This is like even even a ways before that. He would say it several times. We don't really know how many times. Pick up your cross and follow me. What what in the world? If anybody will follow me, let him pick up his gas, go to his gas chamber. What? About Jesus, verse 24. He has not despised nor poured the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. That's both about Jesus and the Father, and that's about Jesus and the Father hearing you, hearing you. 
hearing your cry and your plea. Yeah. For you and me. You see, Jesus paid, and we've been through this, and there's no new information. There is something on my heart that may be helpful. I'll let the Lord dictate that to you. He has, um, Jesus paid the price of our rebellion. He took the punishment, the punishment, the punishment we deserved. He did not save us from a careening bus crushing us. He didn't save us from a speeding bullet aimed at us. He saved us from the judgment of each and every one of us' own sin. That's what he was doing on the cross. Isaiah 53, I need to add this in. Between Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, you could read it to somebody. I've read it to Jewish people, and as you've, I've told you before, they said, do you mean, I didn't say a word about Jesus, do you mean Jesus is the Messiah? And just this part of Isaiah, there's, the whole chapter is incredible, but verse 3 through 6, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So in his suffering, what did Jesus cry? Not just the, my God, my God, that we just saw. But what did he cry from the cross as he was finishing? It is what? Yeah, everything you said was true, but the one that got the bingo point is Jeff, because it was, I mean, I didn't lead you in a clear direction. It's fine, you did great. I'm good at that. At not, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. In the most intense moment of suffering, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They had no idea what they were doing. And Jesus, looking upon them, knew that. They had no idea. There have been times where I had no idea what I was doing. And so have you. And there are people who have done things to you. They really, I mean, you go, oh no, they knew exactly what they were doing. Not, not really. And there's plenty of times they had no idea what they were doing. He was forsaken and took the full payment for the sins of those who were screaming for his death. And you see, the forgiver always pays the debt. Now, we've been through this, but some of you haven't been with us a lot, and I, I can only do what I can do. And to this, this sticks to my gut. This sticks to my soul. The forgiver always pays the debt. I ask Mark, can I borrow $50? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday. Mark shells out 50 bucks, cold cash. I take it, Tuesday comes. Oh, sorry, Mark, I can't. Uh, 
I'll get you next week. A couple of weeks, this goes on. He goes, you know, Rick, I forgive you the debt. It's not, listen carefully, it's not just words out of a mouth. I forgive you. I don't know if I'm totally correct here. You can weigh it out. I don't believe it's ever. Forgiveness is never just words out of a mouth. The forgiver pays the debt. Marx now said goodbye to $50. He'll never see it again. It's gone. He paid the debt when he said, I forgive you. What does this mean? First of all, let's back up to the value. What determines the value of any item? Who places value on it? Let me tell you all a story about a man named Jed. Poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting for some food, and up from the ground came a what? Oh, shame on us that we, us old people, that this is the high point of our history. But there it is, just the same. He became a What was the value of that property before they discovered the oil? Nobody wanted it. But now there was value because value is placed on oil by whoever wants it. Who determines the value that you have? Your parents, no way. Your husband or wife, no way. Your pastor, your best friend, no way. You, no way. Let it go. Let it go. You might have to work on letting it go but it's time to work on focused letting it go. My value is given to me by the one who paid for my soul. He determined my value. You didn't like me or had something that I couldn't fix. I have to go beyond that because my life is dependent on the one who made me and then redeemed me because he loves me and the value he places on you or I outshines beyond the stars anything anybody could try to encourage you with. You try to pump people up. Well, you're really a good person and you really have all these wonderful qualities. That won't really work or last, honestly. It's not bad to say that to somebody in a certain setting. But the issue is not that. What value does God place on you? God gave for you, each and every one of us, the only thing that cost him. Any other gift or blessing from God costs him nothing. You need $100 to pay a bill. You need $10 million or $20 billion or $80 trillion or whatever it is to pay the national debt. Guess what? God doesn't have to go $100. (laughs) Boom. Oh, $2 billion. (laughs) Boom. Hold on, hold on. 
trillions? Oh, where's my Wheaties? God, listen, God never gains energy or power. God never loses energy or power. Yes, Jesus felt virtue go out of him when he sensed what was happening, but it didn't mean he was, oh, I'm getting faint now because she needed healing from me. Now, in the human flesh, physical, who knows how all that worked? But if you understand God, he never gains energy and strength, and he never loses energy and strength. Are you there? Do you understand that? And I don't mean that belligerently. I'm saying, let's really look at this. God gave the only thing for you and me that cost him. The forgiver paid the debt. Judgment is not what God intends for any of us. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief is the one that comes to steal to kill and to destroy, and I've come that they might have life, that they have, might have it more to the full or abundantly, however you want to say it, the fullest possible life I've come to give to you. Why are we not living it so often? Real life feels, fills us when we really receive forgiveness purchased for us by Jesus. And his instruction on forgiving others is also connected to that fullness. Now, did you ever hear the analogy? We used to hear it all the time, and I haven't heard anybody use it. You know, you can either uh, uh, fill a bucket with water, or you can have a water hose where the water's flowing through it. You know, a bucket can only hold so much, but a hose is going to just have an endless supply of water going out of it, like when some of us are trying to fill our swimming pools. Seems like it's forever. Uh, Jesus said in John 7, 37, he that believes in me in his inmost being, out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living waters. It's not just what comes upon us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come upon us, and I believe in that. In the coming upon of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just him coming upon you. It's coming from within you and flowing through you. God just doesn't just meet you, he meets you and will flow through you. And the only way some of the evils that have been done to some people can be cleansed and forgiven from the heart of the wounded is by the flow of that Holy Spirit, him coming through me. Because forgiveness does not always mean humanly in these relationships, restoration of relationships. Why do I say that? Because it's not automatic. Sometimes there's no repentance by the offender. The relationship can't go forward. Sometimes there's, been, there's a pattern of sin that you, can't, you have to have a boundary about allowing. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. We sometimes equate, excuse me, we sometimes equate forgiveness, meaning all's in the past, and now we just go on as if nothing happened, and you can do whatever you want to do. And so we don't want to forgive because we don't want that same thing repeated. Well, there are places where you do need to have a boundary. We, you know, if somebody murdered, you know, you don't like me to use these examples, but I'm not superstitious, okay? You may be, I'm not. Uh, if somebody murdered my whole family, I would expect that person to be executed, not in America necessarily, but in rightness. 
But it doesn't mean I couldn't find through God the way to forgive them. I wouldn't say, unhook, I forgive them, so unhook the jail, open the jail, and let them go free. I wouldn't say that. I, I would, if I had a chance and I was in God, just assume that I have God, assume that I'm like Corey Timboon. Assume that I'm like Bessie Tim Boone. Assume that I'm, I'm like the great saints through history and some of the people you've never heard about who willingly went and suffered death at the hands of evildoers. This is not unheard of. This is the Christian way. Forgiveness is the Christian way. But it doesn't mean that I would say open the, open the, the, the prison and let the guy go free. I would go to him and say, you need to repent and be forgiven by God and be cleansed of your sin, and you need to be executed. <laughs> you do. You do. That's just part of the deal. It's, forgiveness does not equate restoration of relationship in every case, in every point, in every time. And I, you know, we're not going to develop all that. It's a conversation if you have issues. But forgiveness does mean now... Let's focus on what really happens here. That's the real hard part for us anyway, really. Is forgiveness does mean that the debt is counseled by the offended person toward the offender. The forgiver pays the debt. That's really hard. And that's what keeps people from entering forgiveness is because just in some cases, and I understand it and it's been me at some point, uh, To choose forgiveness, I'm saying I no longer seek to extract payment from you for what you did to me, which means, next layer, I no longer blame you who hurt me for who I am. Have they affected us? Have we affected people by our sin? Of course we have. Has it been really hard and terrible things sometimes? Of course there has. But if you want to go forward with God and be free, when people say, when you forgive, if you don't forgive, you're chained to that person and their sin and what they did to you. Yes, and all that's true, but here's that chain in reality as best I understand it is I have that person as my excuse for not moving forward. I can say, well, what they did to me made me this way. So I'm not willing to pay the debt. I need to say, I forgive them, and I choose it. I'm not waiting to feel something. Because I could wait the rest of my life to feel something. And when, and when I have chosen, when I had some hard things to forgive, when they would come up again for a while, I would do what almost everybody I know does, because we're all a lot alike. I would say, Lord, maybe I haven't really forgiven them because I started thinking about them and I started thinking these thoughts and then it was like I was mad at them again and so I must not have forgiven them. Has anybody else done this? At some point, and uh, the Lord seemed to speak to my heart, you can decide whether he did or not. Rick, when you got saved and you asked me to be your savior, did you ever doubt it after that and come back and say, Lord, please save me, save me. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Yeah, I did a little bit. What did I tell you? Stop doing that. (laughs) I asked Jesus to be my Savior on December 31st, 1971. He came into my heart. He is my Savior. And I reject these emotions and feelings and thoughts that are telling me that I'm not saved. 
I have the same faith that I placed that day. I know when I did it. Now, if you don't know your day of salvation, just pick a point and say, from this day forward, that's not the issue. This is it. I belong to Jesus. I'm going forward. That's, I'm not going to circle on that. And it seems like he really got my attention about forgiving others. I forgave them on July 30th, 2023. So three weeks later, two days later, I start to have feelings. I don't say, Lord, maybe I didn't really forgive them. How am I going to ever forgive them? I don't know how to forgive them. I chose to forgive them, and I stand on that forgiveness, and I reject. Now, you can use different words. I just have my words, and I like them, or I would use different words. I reject this feeling. I reject this thought, and I reject any action by me that would blame them for who I am right now. And I'm going to do this right now. How many times do you have to do that, Rick? I have no idea. Maybe every day, 10 times for a while. But I'm holding on to the truth, and I'm not going to let it go because of feelings. Now, I understand that that's easier to say, and you could say to me, you don't have any idea what I go through. You're totally right. And you don't have any idea what I go through. None of us. There's only one person that knows all of us absolutely deeply and understands. You know, none. I cannot give anyone what they need to get from God. And you can't give me what I need to get from God. But when I take responsibility to, to, uh, for, for the pay the penalty, I'm letting it go to Jesus too. That, that's a process that it could happen in a moment with a prayer and boom, you're free. Praise God when that happens. But in a lot of cases, you have ground to take and to stand on. And there was a guy in the Old Testament, Shamgar. He grabbed his sword to defend a, a lentil field, which meant nothing except it was Israel and the Philistines or whoever was coming. And he just kept fighting them off until he couldn't, open his hand. Have you ever worked with a tool and you couldn't open your hand because you had held it so tight for so long? Yeah. When I used to paint uh, with a roller all day long, apartment, re- re- I, never, I wasn't using a sprayer, I was painting interior apartments. I'd come home and my hands were like this and my son was young and she got this little one of those little Lego type dolls that had the hands like this. You stick the, you know, let's look, it's a daddy doll because <laughs> my hands were stuck like that. Well, let your hands be stuck on the truth of who Jesus is, on the forgiveness that he purchased for you and the value he places on you. And there just ain't no way on this journey, not this moment, and you do it right now and you do it with me on the count of three, none of that. But this journey that you're on and I'm on to realize that the same blood that was shed for my sin is shed for their sin. And it's either available to everybody or it's not available to anybody. That's the only way I know to look at it. It's what the Bible teaches. I must be washed in God's forgiveness. Forgiveness from God does bring restoration to us with him. (laughs) My relationship with him is restored through his forgiveness and my turning to him. I am the offender, and I come to him. I come and confess my sins. Don't you do that? To the one who's paid for them in full. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So finally, 
to close this, uh, I would talk about that issue of paying the debt. I wouldn't talk about it forever. Uh, but I had a conversation, a brother and I, who just really was opening my eyes, and I was sharing about this issue, and he was receiving it himself. And, uh, you know, just we were talking about the importance of putting everything else aside and facing this issue and how wonderful it is when you do. And really, I guess it's kind of like where there's the most pain, there can also be the most joy when the victory is won. Just hang in there. Focus, and if you can find your own words or way to say, I choose forgiveness, I chose forgiveness, and I take responsibility that I need God's help. I can't do this on my own. I'm not saying just take responsibility and do it. But Lord, I know that who I am today and who I'm going to become today is going to be based on my relationship with you and not what was done to me. Not what was done to me. You've got no place to go there for healing. You can go over it a hundred million times and you'll never get better. Guaranteed. Or you can keep coming to the cross and let the blood of Jesus cleanse your sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus carried the weight of every sin, the rejection and the failure of every person. Don't take any of that. Oh, you can't, but you know what I'm saying? Don't take any of that away from him. Don't claim what's his is yours. In that sense, that I can hold this bitterness. Can you? He paid for it. He carried the weight of it. His cry to the Father was something he never previously experienced. For all the pain he went through and the rejection during his lifetime, he had never, those things didn't stop him at all. But in the garden, praying, sweating drops of blood, it was, I am going to become sin. It's going to all be born on me, and I will be separated for my relationship with the Father, the one thing Jesus feared, the one thing that he was burdened by above all things was to be separated from his relationship with God. I don't know that any of us in this room could say that. Like That's the one thing that matters to me, my relationship with God. Everything else is secondary. Now, you might say, I, I can say that right now. Maybe you can I'm saying I want to, but I think Jesus had what we want, and Jesus did what we couldn't on our own for us. And that's what he was experiencing. Was it the pain in his hands and feet and his body? Well, that was very real too. I, don't, I can't separate those, but I can tell you the pain of becoming the darkness of the darkness of the darkness bearing the weight, whatever, however that works that we can't comprehend, was more than anything you'll ever, ever experience as a believer. It's rarely our greatest fear, but in his, he's wooing us to himself again and again and again. And when we come to the table, let's pray that we'd experience him in a profound way. 
But either way, whether you experience a profound experience right now by the work of the Spirit upon the elements of communion, which will be passed out to you, and we'll take it together, whether you experience some great moment or not, let's do this. Those of you who are believers in Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I want you, then you take communion and say, I do this by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So you can say yes to God right now today. You guys are going to come up and lead a song again. One